what makes America the greatest country in the world. Soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen. Stood up for what was right. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. It's time to start a trip. Dream isn't something we talk about. All we can ever do for our heroes is remember them. And they gave up two lives. The one they were living in and the one they would have lived. They gave up everything for our country, for us. Let's pray for freedom and justice. Only be a war if soldiers are willing to fight. Less than 1% of Americans serving in uniform. Some veterans not getting the timely care that they need. The good news is, is that in recent years, we've made historic investments to boost the VA budget. What is it? Why should we care? We should care about press freedom because... Because we were informed. In democratic societies, free, diverse, and pluralist media enable public debates and are essential checks on look power. Status. Let's discuss. Hi guys, um, welcome to Bed to Bed podcast, episode number 10. And uh, if it's your first time uh, listening, thanks for coming. And uh, today's episode about DAV. Um, Today we have a guest speaker, Thomas Wendell. He is a national area supervisor for uh, West Coast region. And uh, nice to have you, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And uh, if you don't mind, tell us a couple of words about yourself. Sure. Well, first I want to thank you for having me here today. And secondly, you know, I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran, served in the Gulf War in 1991. Uh, been with the DAV for 16 years. Oh my God. Uh, I started off in our Detroit office, did 12 years in our Detroit office, one year in our Portland, Oregon office, and now I've been out here in Los Angeles for the past three years. Nice. So, I'm, like you said, I'm a national area supervisor, so I cover all of our offices in California, Nevada, Arizona, and Hawaii. Tell me about yourself, uh, like about your employees, uh, how do you feel uh, working with DAV or some maybe general stuff about coming to work every day from your personal perspective? Sure. I mean, coming to work every day, you know, to work for the DAV is an honor. You know, to do what I do on a daily basis to help our fallen heroes and our veterans, you know, is such an honor. You know, on a daily basis, you know, I'm able to help them, I'm able to help their families. So it's an honor to come to work. If you don't have a passion for veterans, then, you know, it's a hard job, you know, and so you have to have that passion and you have to be willing to come in every day and work as hard as you can for those heroes because they don't know all the laws. They don't understand everything involved with developing a claim, what a claim is all about. So that's what we're there to do. We're there to help them. So, you know, on a daily basis, when I see that one of my veterans was awarded something that they were trying to get, you know, that just melts my heart. It just, you know, that's my, you know, my goal is when I go to work every day, you know, if I can leave there feeling that I helped the veteran, then I'm leaving there satisfied. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's so nice. How would you describe a typical weekday in your position? What's your daily schedule, like week schedule looks like? Well, basically our week, you know, our every day is a little different, you know, but we start the day off by coming into the office and we ensure that we're preparing ourselves for that day. And then we 
look at each day. We go by appointments in our office, but we also handle walk-ins, you know, because not everyone knows that we've converted to an appointment system. So, you know, we ensure we have somebody to take care of those walk-ins as well. But on a daily basis, what we look at is we normally, you know, we start the day off seeing our clients. We set appointments for every half hour, every hour, and depending on how any service officers I have available that day depends on how many clients we'll see that day. But we also hold hearings before the Board of Veterans Appeals through video conference hearings or in-person hearings with the judges at the Board of Veterans Appeals. We also hold hearings at the local level with what's called a decision review officer. And so we're basically on a daily basis either seeing clients, preparing their cases, or doing hearings with the Board of Veterans Appeals or the local hearing officers. Nice. Which ones immediate for you? What was your job before? How many jobs did you do? Like what kind of stuff you've been doing? Well, actually I really didn't have any jobs prior to joining the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps straight out of college, out of the high school. Oh. So I was 17 years old when I joined the Marine Corps. My mom actually had the sign to allow me to go in. But I you know, in joining the Marine Corps, you know, I had a, a great time in the Marine Corps. I did a lot of different duties. I did nuclear security, I did Pentagon security, I did infantry. So I had a wide range of things that I did while I was in the Marine Corps. What were the years you've been in? I was in from 93, I mean, 83 to 97. So the Cold War was over, right? Was it <laughs> well, the Cold War was still, <laughs> still going, but they you know, that's something they gave certificates out later for the end of the Cold War. <laughs> but I did, I served in, you know, like I said earlier, in 1991, I actually went to the, the Gulf War. So mm -hmm. I, was, I was in during that time, and I was with the 3rd Marine Division, you know, there, so. And um, how would you describe your management style? Like, how do you manage your staff, or how do you describe yourself from, like, well, as far as a management style, I think I'm a fairly laid back, you know, type of manager. You know, I'm not one that's going to micromanage my people, but I am going to make sure that the mission get, mission does get accomplished. You know, so you know, my staff knows that you know I'm not going to be standing over them all the all the time, but mm -hmm. they know that hey, I expect certain things. So when I come and I look, those things better be accomplished. So you know, but I'm the type of person that you know, I'm pretty laid back. They can come to me with anything, you know, and my, my staff knows that if, whether it's a personal problem or whether it's a problem dealing with the job, they can talk to me. And uh, did it change uh, anyhow since you've been in the service and uh, when you get out or you've been always the same person like that? Pretty much I'm always the same person, you know, there's, of course, there's, you know, people say, you know, the, the Marine came out of them today, you know, so <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, at times you got to be a little bit more forceful or, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, I, I don't think my style changed any time from when I was in the Marine Corps to now. Yeah, that's to yourself, right? Yep, <laughs> that's what I am. That's, that's good. And, um, and I guess you report to somebody from the position you occupy right now. Who is your supervisor? Who do you report to and how often do you report to? Well. My direct supervisor, as being a national area supervisor, I report to our 
National Service Director Jim Marcel. Mm -hmm. And you know, I talk to Jim all the time. You know, I, it could be on a daily basis, it mm -hmm. could be on a weekly basis, but we always have open lines of communications. And, you know, one of the things is being an area supervisor. You know, I at least once a year I'm inspecting every single one of our, my offices in my area. So, and if I find a problem, then I will inspect that office twice a year. So. I'm always you know, in communication with my offices. I'm constantly looking at their work, and if I see an issue, I jump on the phone and make sure that's taken care of. So it's not just me controlling the office here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. you know, I also have to worry about all the other offices in my area. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of like it's a big responsibility. Oh, a lot of stuff to do. Most definitely, but it's definitely enjoyable, and it helps me to be able to mentor a lot of the new supervisors throughout mm -hmm. the organization. So I, I really enjoy doing it. It's good. Myself, I would be too anxious <laughs> to have so much responsibility. Um, so how many people work in uh, your office, like right here, or in general in uh, your area? Well, in my office, I have seven national service officers mm -hmm. and four support staff. Mm -hmm. And then each one of my offices throughout my area, mm -hmm. you know, some of them have roughly about the same amount. So, um, who was the person you replaced? Is, is it a new position or it was a position that existed before? Well, as far as the national area supervisor, mm -hmm. yep. you know, I replaced the supervisor out of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And okay. as far as the actual um, supervisor position here mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, the supervisor here transferred to our office in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. And so I took his place here. So he got the promotion. Yes. Okay. And then I became the area supervisor once I transferred from Portland, Oregon to Los Angeles. That's a big move. Oh, yes. And how often do you travel? Like, do you take uh, one month off, like two months off to travel? or? It all depends on you know what the schedule is for mm -hmm. everything throughout the year. Basically, I have you know six other offices that I have to inspect, so it's at least one of those per month. And then we also have our national convention, our department conventions, and mm -hmm. other things that I may have to go to as a uh, area supervisor or as a supervisor because we have our supervisors training, we have national area supervisor training. So pretty much, I'm almost at least once a month going somewhere. Oh, nice. I know. You said it's an honor and uh, that's it's a pretty responsible position and you got a lot of use to pull uh, on a daily basis. But um, how would you describe your feelings in general, like coming here? Do you still have the same feelings while you've been in the military or do you feel a little bit different? Well, I think part of it is, you know, feelings from when we were in the military because everybody that works for the DAV, we're all, you know, honorably discharged mm -hmm. uh, wartime era veterans. Mm -hmm. So having that same camaraderie that we had while we were in the service also is something that we have in the office. You know, plus we have, in the military you learn that structure. Yeah. So we're used to that structure and we sort of have that same structure in the office as well. So, so that helps us to be able to have the camaraderie and to know that we're coming into an organization that most of the people were former military, so we're dealing with people that have the same mindset that we had, you know, coming in. I like that structure. Mm -hmm. 
like in my personal life and uh, in general in life that's and it was one of the reasons why I joined because I like everything in order, I like structure and uh, I'm uh, getting anxious when things get falling apart I like some procedures to follow and that's, that's also it's great to have such a structure here Oh, most definitely It's great Can you tell me something about DAE, about its mission statement? Uh, sure Our mission statement is fulfilling our promises to the men and women who served we're dedicated to one single uh, purpose, empowering veterans to lead high quality lives with dignity and respect. Nice. That's our mission statement. And the way that we accomplish that mission is by ensuring that the veterans and their families can access the full range of benefits that they're entitled to. We fight for their interests on Capitol Hill and we ensure that the, edu the public is educated as far as the sacrifices and needs that veterans have transitioning into back to civilian life. So. And um, that's a great statement. Well, basically, DAB, we have two headquarters. Mm -hmm. Our national headquarters is in Cold Springs, Kentucky. And then our service and legislative headquarters is in Washington, D.C. So basically, from there, we branch off to we have a national service office in every uh, state, and some states have multiple national service offices. Like this state in California, we actually have four national service offices in California, whereas some states may only have one based on their size and veteran population. But each office is manned by national service officers, and we also have our um, support staff in support of that. Now from our national service officer staff, we also have, from our fraternal side of the organization, we have our national commander, our national adjutant, you know, which basically handles the fraternal side of the organization. And then we basically have our national executive committee and our board of directors. And then each state has their own department of the DAV. Like California, we have the department of California DAV, mm -hmm. and it has its own national I mean, department adjutant and also um, commanders and, and so forth. Now, not every um, department has these, but most departments have department service officers and also chapter service officers, which those are service officers that we as national service officers train to actually go throughout the state and in their local chapters and their local communities to be able to assist veterans and then forward those claims to our office for inspection. So the way I understand it, so you got a national commander, yes. national adjutant who helps you. Correct. Also you got a board of directors, mm -hmm. right? Correct. And then uh, going down, you got national area supervisors, who is a VSO chief, right? Chief of VSOs for selected region? Well, basically, before that, we actually have our uh, National Service Director, Jim mm -hmm. Marslack. Mm -hmm. he's, he's at our Legislative uh, Service and Legislative Office in Washington, D.C. So he's over us as national areas. So he's pushing legislation, right? Well, that's part of it. He's, we actually have our own legislative um, team in Washington, D.C that that's their main goal is to work legislation. And so they're doing that on a daily basis. And so 
So they're arguing things, they're giving testimony. So that happens on a daily basis with DAB. That's where the person I said that I relieved here, he actually left here and he joined our legislative team in Washington, D.C. Nice. I would like to be a part of DAB. What should I do? Like, how do I sign you? Okay. Talking about becoming a member of the yeah. DAB? Okay. Well, becoming a member of the DAB, there's different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. you know, the, Easiest way is to go right onto our website, DAV.org, and you can sign up as a member right on, on there. You can do basically $10 a month. But all of ours is, we don't have annual memberships, it mm -hmm. all goes towards a lifetime membership. Okay. So based on your age, then it's a certain dollar amount for based off of your age. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that ranges from $140 to $250. So basically what you look at is if you wanted to pay off the entire membership up front, then you pay that and you're done for life. Oh. So it's not like other organizations that have annual memberships, mm -hmm. but that doesn't always go towards your life membership. Mm -hmm. So ours is strictly a life membership and once you paid it, you're done for life. And there's the other ways that you can become a member is you can actually go into any national service office mm -hmm. across the country and become a member right in that office. And uh, how do you select VSOs? If uh, somebody one day shows up in your office and tells, tells you, I want to be a VSO for DAV, so how does it work to become a VSO? Well, basically what you look at first off is they have to be a, a disabled veteran. Mm -hmm. And they also, um, so once they be, they're a disabled veteran, and you don't have to have an actual So they have to be a disabled veteran, and when they come in, basically what we do is we ask them for their resume. Mm -hmm. Then at that point, we're gonna review their resume. There is no specific education requirements mm -hmm. that you have. It's more about, you know, do you have the passion to do this type of job? Mm -hmm. okay. You have to have a passion to serve veterans. You have to want to get out there and do that. And also with our national organization, for somebody to become a, a National Service Officer with us, you know, you have to say that you're willing to relocate anywhere in the country because mm -hmm. we have offices all over the country. So just because you want to work in my office in Los Angeles, I may not have any openings, mm -hmm. but I may have an opening in Montana or something of that nature. Yes. So, so that, but what happens there is we, I interview the person in my mm -hmm. office if I feel the person, you know, is a fit for to be a national service officer, then I recommend them to our the national organization. And at that point, they will do their, um, they will look at them and set up an interview, they'll do a telephone interview, then they'll do an in-person interview. Mm -hmm. And so normally we bring the person to Washington, D.C. and mm -hmm. we interview them there before our national staff. And at that point, if they get selected, then wherever they choose they need them to go, that's where they're going. Yeah, it's not as easy, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's not an easy process. No. Yeah. We're very selective, mm -hmm. you know, because you know, not everybody's fit to do this job. Plus everybody doesn't like, you know, when we hire a new national service officer, we're gonna put them through a sixteen month OJT program. So what is what is OJT stands for? On the job training. Okay. So our training program is sixteen months. It's mm -hmm. you know, it's second to none through the VSO you know, programs. You know, you look at what we do, you know, we ensure that our 
National Service officers are trained properly, and even when they continue the 16-month OJT program, we continue to do regular training on a monthly basis. So I would say, I would say it's a commitment. Oh, it definitely is. It's a life commitment. Correct. We're, we're not looking for somebody that wants a job. We're looking for somebody that wants a career. Yeah. No short term. <laughs> it's um, not what we're looking for. Uh, so, can you compare DAV to another uh, VSO organizations? Can you to the like to the same of the same size, same structure? And uh, the second part of the question would be, what makes DAV unique compared to those organizations? Well, basically, you know, the major veteran service organizations, DAV, American Legion, VFW, you know, they're probably the biggest three, you know, national service organizations. And, you know, we all do, you know, roughly a lot of the same things. You know, we all have, you know, service officer programs. We all, you know, have legislator programs in Washington, D.C. But what makes DAV different is, one, the commitment we have to our training. You know, we're gonna make sure that our national service officers are the most highly trained national service officers out there. So when we do our training, we ensure that you know our people are up to date on every change in law that's happening. So when there's a change in law, our legislative people get that to our director in DC and he publishes that out to everyone out in the field so that we make sure that everyone has that, that knowledge. And then once it hits my office, then I make sure that my people are all trained on that so that we, they understand the new law that just went into place. So those are things that you know, make us unique as far as you know, that is concerned. Now other things that DAB does, you know, we have our transportation network, which we basically um, transport veterans from their homes or from a general location to their VA appointments. So we have a fleet of uh, vans that do that, and we have a lot of volunteers. That's the that. first time how I learned about DAV. Okay, very good. Because, you know, it's one of those programs that, you know, one, it saves the VA a lot of money for the transportation, plus it helps our veterans, you know, to be able to get that transportation because not every veteran has, you know, means of transportation. for. So for us to be able to do that is very fulfilling for us as the DAV. It is. Appreciate it's expensive. Oh yeah. It's very expensive. And that's where when you look at the part of the history of the DAV in 1922 when we had our second national convention in San Francisco, our first national convention was held in Detroit. And with our second one being in San Francisco, Henry Ford, you know, stepped up and he actually donated 50 Model T vehicles to transport uh, disabled veterans from the, their homes, their certain areas, to our convention in San Francisco. And that relationship has been going on since then. Because right now, most of the, you know, all of the vehicles that you see in our transportation network are all Ford vehicles. And, you know, Ford donates vehicles to us on a yearly basis and to help us with that program. So, you know, it's an excellent relationship that we have with Ford and, you know, for them to be able to step up and to assist us and the veterans that we serve is outstanding on our behalf. It's great. It's great. And, uh, Other things that make us, you know, unique is, 
know, DAV, we have a disaster relief program. So last year when we had the wildfires here in Northern California, you know, there were a lot of veterans that were burned out of their homes. And, you know, DAV stepped up and we went out there and we gave vouchers for, you know, either $500 or $1,000. You know, well, it's not a lot of money, but it basically is helping them to get, you know, food, shelter, and clothing, you know, when they had nothing. It's good so, enough to start Greece, right? Most definitely. Good enough. So, you know, the Red Cross is one of the first ones out there. Mm -hmm. We're shortly behind them to make sure that we're out there helping veterans. The other program that DAV has is our um, employment department. Mm -hmm. and they went into effect in 2014 and they joined forces with Recruit Military. And what they do is basically find employers that are looking to hire veterans. Mm -hmm. you know, so we help veterans that are transitioning out mm -hmm. or those that have just recently got out, and even those that have been out for a while, to come to these um, job fairs and be able to meet with employers that are actually looking at hiring veterans. What you look at as far as, um, you know, DAV, we set up the job fairs or career fairs and we bring them out and we marry them up with you know, employers that are looking to hire veterans. But then we also have, through Recruit Military, a complete database across the country that they can resource and use that as a means of finding employment. Then recently we started doing online job fairs and you know that was most one of our more recent things. And so we're having good success with the online, you know, it's basically almost like what we're doing right here, a podcast, and you're actually doing it, you know, online, you know. What's the website? What's the website? For that? It's DAV, DAVjobs.org. Okay. Yep. So, so, yeah, those are a few things that make DAV unique as far as in the veterans community. Great. Well, it sounds like you're doing a lot of job, a lot. Correct. And one of the other things that DAV has is we have our transition service officers. And our transition service officers are actually ones that when VA is, not VA, but DOD is, has the person that they're making go through the TAP class prior to getting out. What is that? That's a transition class that they have to go to. Oh, to yeah, yeah. Basically, um, tell them about benefits and things that they have when they get out. In the, in the Army, they call it ACAP right now. Okay, so when we, we actually have um, transition service officers at all the major bases across the country. Mm -hmm. and they participate in that, that brief or their next door after that brief is over, then that service member can come over and see them with their service treatment records and we can go over their service treatment records with them and describe to them what they should be filing their claims for when they get out. Mm -hmm. And you know, going over that record with them, and you know, there may be times where a service member, you know, may have gotten treatment off base, and it, that record never got associated with their service treatment records. Mm -hmm. So that's where we try to educate them and make sure that they understand before you get out. Make sure you get those records and associate those records with your service treatment records. So those are some of the other things that we do you know, as far as the DAV is concerned. It's a lot. I would say like each of those subjects can be different podcasts. It's a lot, but I'm glad I'm, I'm actually thrilled so many things. 
so many things. And uh, myself, as I said, uh, I am the first time I encounter DAVs by seeing the bands, white bands, with right. DAV sign. And uh, that's pretty much it. That was, was my first time when I saw somebody from DAV and I figured out it was an organization that is helping vets. Mm -hmm. And uh, like right now, thanks to you, I know much more about DAV. And I hope everybody else in the camera. Well, I hope they do as well. You know, you mentioned you got to see us by using our trans, by seeing our transportation vans. Yes. You know, another van that we have is what's called our mobile service office. I actually have you know, some of my people out on the mobile service office in the Reno area right now. And basically, it's we have a fleet of mobile service offices that go across the country to actually go into the rural areas where veterans are and actually do claims with them out there. And so, because not everybody can always get to the big city. Not everyone wants to come into the big city and go to the VA. So we go out to them. We take our mobile service offices and we you know, man those with national service officers and we actually you know, do claims right there. That's yeah, great. I would say that could be a separate podcast like for internally, for DAV to do, to give somebody a camera on the van and just knock on the door, say hello, and see where it goes. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. You know, our, you know, our mobile service offices are, you know, they're definitely something that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. we, you know, me as a service officer, I always like going out on the mobile service offices and be able to, you know, see clients, you know, out in their communities versus, you know, just right there in our office. So it's nice to get out into the community. And we actually work with our DAV chapters and mm -hmm. departments across the country and we get a lot of assistance from them and it also brings those, brings that veteran and that chapter, you know, together so that the local veteran can see that they have some local resources from the DAV and what that DAV you know, chapter can do for them and what they can do for that chapter. Yeah, and uh, myself I find that's a great idea, uh, especially uh, I guess some vets because of anxious depression, PTSD, driving to LA can make them feel crazy, especially on a highway. Oh yes. So it's much more easier to see somebody in their village or in their small town where they know everything, they know everybody. That's, that's great. Yeah, most definitely. A lot of people don't like driving, you know, here in LA, especially, yes. you know, so the traffic is so bad. <laughs> it's me. It's my <laughs> but, but yeah, that's definitely something that we'd like to get out there and be able to, you know, support them and do those things in their communities. Nice. Do, do you know a couple of things that DME would have to work to improve, or a couple of things you would like to improve in DAV? Well, as far as the DAV is concerned, we're always looking at ways of mm -hmm. improving. And, you know, one of our, you know, things that we're doing currently is we're making sure that our, like I said earlier, our training is second to none. Mm -hmm. And we're improving that training right now. We're actually, you know, uh, have a new training system that just recently rolled out. And, you know, it's got, 3D modules, it shows all kinds of things dealing with the, you can look at the heart and turn the heart around and we can see, as far as what we do, when we're talking about VA claims, we can look at diagnostic codes that relate to the heart and how that relates to our veteran, you know, so, so yes, and that's, that's going to change the way that we as national service officers, you know, 
do what we do. It's going to improve what we're doing, you know, a lot. So, you know, that program is something that DAV has been working on. And, you know, we rolled out our first phase of it recently, and it's going really well. And, you know, so we're always looking at ways to improve ourselves. You know. But other things that we look at is it's not just improving us, mm -hmm. it's improving the VA system. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we do have some legislative goals that we are pushing this year. And, you know, one of those legislative goals is, you know, ensuring that our women veterans are taken care of, you know, uh, making sure that the programs that the VA has are good for our women and making sure that there's enough programs mm -hmm. and services for them. Because right now they're a growing population within the veterans community. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we need to ensure that we're taking care of. Other things within the VA is, as you know, the VA healthcare system. Is, mm -hmm. There's lots of talk about the VA healthcare system and how it works, and you know, they're talking about wanting to privatize it and things of that nature. Well, our mission, as far as DAV is concerned, we believe that you know the VA should be the one that's taking care of our veterans. It shouldn't be a private, you know, sector you know, that's doing that. But we believe that the VA, as far as PTSD, orthopedic things. They're top notch when it comes mm -hmm. to those things. So they know veterans, they know how to handle those experiences and those things that the veterans are dealing with. So we don't want to see the healthcare system get privatized. We want to see the VA get improved. So time to say Okay, good. Yeah. Then other things that you know we look at is this thing called the caregivers program. Yeah. And with the caregivers program, basically, if you're a post 9/11 caregiver, then basically there's a lot more resources, there's a lot more funding, there's a lot more things that they get, whereas a caregiver for a veteran of the World War II or Vietnam era, you know, they don't get the same benefits. So we believe that that's unfair and that those veterans, you know, should be getting the same benefits and their dependents should get those same benefits. The other thing that we look at is right now, as far as the revamping the appeal system within the VA system. Mm -hmm. Right now, the VA system, their appeals is really backlogged. Mm -hmm. We're looking at ways of improving that. You know, as you know, for years you've been hearing about the regular claims backlog, and the VA's done a great job at really reducing that, reducing the time it takes for a regular claim mm -hmm. to happen. Yeah, but yeah. now. They've put a lot of resources towards that, and now we need to worry about the appeal side. The appeal side is very backed up, so we're looking at ways of improving that. I guess it's not perfect, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff to do. And um, do you have something in mind, uh, like a book, great movie, or stuff to do you would like to suggest to our listeners? Maybe something that you've seen recently, you don't have to be related to arguing, but if not, it's better. Well, one of the movies that jumps out at me you know, recently is American Sniper. You know, it really helps us to understand a little bit more about PTSD, how it affects our, mm -hmm. our veterans, and you know, it brings home a, a good story about, about that. Um, so it's something that I think a lot of veterans can relate to when they see that movie. And, yeah. and how PTSD affects you once you return. It is. That's a great movie. You know, one of the key things you know in that movie that I saw was you know basically when he was driving and he was 
watching what was going on around him mm -hmm. and remembering, you know, as he was driving, you know, how there was a, you know, always being on high alert, you mm -hmm. know, and so a lot of our veterans, when I talk to them from returning, you know, that's something that they, you know, realize is just driving on a daily basis had a cause of the form of PTSD because the fact that they're always looking, they're, they're on high alert, they're trying to see is there an IED or something right there. So, you know, that's something that really, you know, comes across. What I feel is just like being on high alert, not, be, not just because you're looking for a IEDs or something else, it just drains you. Like energy just goes out. Oh yes. You don't want anybody to stand behind you and uh, just want to control like whatever is going on, but you can't. Right. Especially in cities like LA or like big cities, you can't. Right. Too much distraction. Oh yes. And that's something that we see you know all the time when i have a client sitting in my office and i'm talking to them about ptsd you know what you're voicing there i hear every day yeah hey guys to wrap up we would like to finish our podcast with a, a quote or like word of wisdom from general george Patton. victory is a very powerful word general george Patton once advised Accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. Uh, thank you. That's it. Uh, that's it, folks. Thanks for listening. Come uh, back often and feel free to subscribe to our iTunes, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, all links are in the podcast notes. And uh, if you got any questions, you can shoot an email and find uh, Thomas Wendell on the DAV website. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.